Just wait a minute. We got a job for you. I don't want no job. Why not? It's too much, too much like work, man. Listen, this is strictly nowhere. You got a lot of sick, old-fashioned ideas about working hard and living clean, and it's all a lot of junk. I'm too tired to listen. I mean, work is for suckers. You know, I like my job, Skipper. I wouldn't want to lose it. This is Chris T, and this is job story number eight. Thanks to everybody who's been listening to Job Story and telling your friends and neighbors all about it. Don't forget, a new episode goes up every week. And I am in talks right now, very high-level talks, to get Job Story on other platforms besides iTunes. So that'll be coming soon. Stay tuned for that. Last week on Job Story, I talked about my Pro Tools experience and um, got some good feedback from folks. Remember, if you want to drop a line, it's jobstorypod at gmail.com. Jobstorypod at gmail.com. There hasn't been a lot of progress in the past week on the job search front, and uh, I still am waiting to hear back from the folks at Audible, and I think I'll be reaching out very soon. Uh, probably this Thursday because it will have been three weeks and just to find out what is going on there in other job related news uh, I've got something here from a former colleague of mine at WFMU Yvonne who hosts a, a polka show sent me some audio talking about some of the jobs that she's had so let's listen to Yvonne right now here on Job Story so, working hard or hardly working? <laughs> it's certainly annoying when a person like the one from Bankers Whatever calls you in a time that you're actually looking for work. I compare it to getting a concussion and a fake doctor comes running to pat you on the head and says that it's going to be better now. It's like they're missing the point. How stupid do they think people are? Well, the truth is, some people are. Bankers Whatever. I had a lot of that come my way when I was down and out through the nine years I have spent in New York. I admit, I thought it was going to be easy. I moved from Detroit with my journalism degree and bingo bango, I have a creative job. Rongo, major rongo. I bumped around. First stop, coat check girl at a celebrity magnet restaurant in Tribeca. I think it was owned by uh, Robert De Niro, if I'm not mistaken. One of those guys. No joke, I traveled in three feet of snow for a total pay of what would be $300 a week, if I was lucky. And it was a bad winter. Rent was cheap, but the real price I was paying was for living next to a freeway, leaving most of my belongings covered in a beautiful black dust. And my roommate liked to pee on clean laundry. He was a drunk. But it was in the hippest zip code in Brooklyn, and the ramen noodles were so goddamn trendy. I used to eat ramen noodles in college because they cost less than a dollar and they got me through my day. In Williamsburg or Greenpoint or whatever, you ate them for status and they drained your wallet as fast as you were slurping up the broth. That one bowl sure better last the week. Next stop was retail in a really cool shop. I spent about three years there. They treated their employees pretty well, gave them benefits, which is uncalled for in retail. Anyway, before I knew it, I still had no money, and I was confronted with a bit of an identity crisis due to the fact that there were so many clothes available and I was constantly changing my look. Anyway, 
Then FMU, WFMU somehow wedged its way into my life and I wedged right back. The perfect wedge, but still running on fumes. See, my parents are immigrants. Lending money, meaning if they were to give me money, meant that there was less of a chance that I would move back home to them. They maybe wanted me sapped, running home with my tail in between my legs. But no, I persisted. Next stop, temp agencies, with a lot of twisting my arm. All aboard for years of random shitty jobs and growing debt on credit cards some clowns issued to me as a joke, knowing clear well that a person like me would run a high tab with cute little fees tacking themselves all over me to the point that I was scared to even look at what I owed. Next stop, though, finally a permanent position as an executive assistant on Madison Avenue. So you would think, be happy, Yvonne. Stay at your nine to six permanent position with a biotech firm in Midtown. No, mind numbing. Six years pass in New York and I'm sapped of all of my creative energies. My only saving grace is FMU where everyone is nice and funny, unlike those in the world at large. So I put in my two weeks with the firm after landing a job as a project manager at a custom furniture company. Why did I do this? Because the furniture looked like it came from space. Alien chairs and extraterrestrial ottomans. I must have lied on my resume because my title wasn't one that sounded like I was some giant idiot. I felt good. Uh, but alas, the company had internal problems and there was a meeting with the bosses. We all mutually decided that after one year of my employment with them, I wasn't really a good fit. Plus, my office was right above where they would uh, paint the furniture and the fume. I didn't like the paint fumes in my office giving me a headache. So I'll walk dogs, right? Wrong. I never thought picking up shit would be so disgusting. I had a cat at the time, but they seemed to be on autopilot and they seemed to know how to take care of themselves when it comes to, to that for the most part. It also didn't help that the woman running the dog walking empire wasn't really good at handing over my paycheck but my landlord was really good at collecting the rent on time, and so I was in a mad dash to meet my landlord at the finish line every month. So I took another job at a daycare where I got to learn how to change diapers and yell at children. Probably the shittiest time in my life, no joke. Dogs and babies. They paid severely under minimum. Mind you, at this point, I was starting to understand what I was worth and that I needed at least 50K in benefits to really live like a real human human. So I took on another job at the same time as the dogs and the babies. I was an art teacher at a nearby school once a week, but that guy didn't like to pay. And when he did it, it was via Venmo. And it was only a hundred bucks despite the countless hours of work and opening and closing the joint. Also, a little girl almost stuck a pencil in my eye. Also, I found out children love to make fun of me and make life a living hell. It was cool, I was taking the punches, but I knew it wasn't sustainable. So I was on my last leg and even that leg felt funny. Nothing was wrong with my legs, thank God. Something must have been watching over me and a big strike of luck struck me like a lightning bolt. A jolt of wonderful wonder. To make a long story much shorter in order to get to present day, I moved. I moved far, far away, but not too far. I found a job, but they didn't really offer enough. 
doesn't matter what it was or who it was, I could have stayed and should have stayed. Present day, I opted for a management position at a small business centered around photography in the world of advertising. I do the grunt work, the heavy lifting, meaning I lift heavy things and constantly reshelve things at a prop resource that is in constant flux. I'm also the admin. I push a lot of papers, but those are much lighter than slabs of marble. It's like being in a constant state of packing and unpacking. Does it suit me? Does it? My partner suggests kindly, nicely, gently, that perhaps it is me. Am I dissatisfied? No and yes. This magical adventure down the spirally tunnel of jobs has opened up many a mind door. Sure, my partner is correct in pointing out that maybe it is me. It is me searching for that thing that I thought I was promised in college. But what more is college than just classrooms and papers? What is life? Who am I? Will I land in a place that offers me that dangling carrot I've seen so many others snag? Was it really a carrot or just my imagination? I want vacations, that's all. But I also want to be a fair person and contribute. I want to do my part as a partner. Rent is crazy in this town. This isn't Detroit anymore, Dorothy. My advice, as I should take it too, is keep pushing even if your eyes are bloodshot and your bones ache. Keep learning no matter how old you are and no matter how done you are, just keep poking and prodding. But at some point, make a decision. Wiser now, perhaps, but there is always that gray area, the one that is clumped into the mysterious wonder of how the world came to be and why and how humans exist at all. Why do we work for each other? For the greater good of man? What man? Friend as much as it's wonderful to land an interview, you must also interview your employer. This is really good advice, actually. You should know where it is that you're going to work. Ask questions. Ask them if they will pay you for scooping up the shit and changing the diapers. Really, ask them. Make sure that they pay you. Make it clear that you won't settle for less than what you're worth. So figure out what you're worth and keep that in your mind. There is no real conclusion to this. I'm being as candid as I can. Temp agencies can work, but you have to activate them and kind of stay on top of the people that you're working with. They are like wind-up toys that work and work until they need to be wound up again. You have to be on alert and keep winding them, even though you have a thousand other things happening in your life that you need to balance. Like eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Like making sure your life is full of love. Like making sure you're not bringing your friends and family down by constantly talking about the perils that you're facing. Updating your resume? That's a whole other chapter. Is there a part four? Well, actually, as I'm recording this, there is a part four. Since that job, present day, I'm back in flux and back into settling into something new again. So I'd love to update you with the handy things I've learned about writing your resume and updating it and all the different things you should be doing when you're job hunting. Job hunting isn't just going online. It's going to a lot of places and really get creative. Anyway, for anyone that's listening and to Christy, good luck. I feel for all of you, but don't ever, don't ever give up. That's probably the best advice that I have. Okay, signing off.
And uh, if you want, you can listen to my polka show on Mondays at 8 p.m. on WFMU. But you don't have to. In fact, Chris, you can edit that part out if you want. But it's a lot of fun. It's happy. Um, it's kind of crazy. Anyway, thank you, Chris, for the opportunity uh, and for inspiring me to write that. It was a very cathartic. And I hope you like the sounds of the water in the background. I'm at a beautiful park right now. Okay, take care. Bye. Friday, two months to the date since I got canned, axed, fired, let go. Choose your own ending. It still feels unreal. Despite my friend's suggestions to look at this as a gift and a chance to do something you've always wanted to do and some time off to think about what's next and a break from all the madness and an opportunity to adjust and especially despite the one friend who said, Sometimes I wish I had a stretch of time to tackle things I've always wanted to get to. And the other friend who said, a year from now, you'll look at this as the best thing that ever happened to you. Yeah, no. I don't see this as a gift or chance or time off or opportunity or stretch of time to accomplish a long deferred project or the best thing to ever happen to me. I see this as unemployment. I am unemployed. I see this as shameful. I am ashamed. I see this as a disaster. Its possible outcome is disastrous. Being without a job makes me feel unsteady. It racks my nerves constantly, brings me low, and engenders no end of self-reflection and a bad case of the what-ifs. What if I'd handled things differently at my old job? Would I still be there? What if I can't find a new job? How will we pay our bills? What if no one hires me? Will I end up in the gig economy with no benefits and sporadic income? What if I have to tap into my 401k before I planned? How do I pay for my old age? It's hard to relax into this and enjoy it with all of these what-ifs ricocheting around in my brain. Sorry, I know my friends mean well, but they're saying things that make themselves feel better, not me. I understand the difficult position I've put them in. I've fallen down, and I haven't gotten up yet. They're struggling for something to say that sounds positive. By extension, they're putting it on me to be positive. I don't want to be positive right now. I want to have the feelings I'm having, not spackle over them with some PMA bullshit. Sorry, I should say PMA platitudes. By the way, I sat in with a band last night. It was worse than I thought. Yes, I can still play. No, I'm not that good. Yes, playing with others would make me a better player. No, I can't commit to a band right now. Yes, playing music could be a fun way to spend an evening. No, that was not fun. Aren't you happy I let you in on my decision-making process? Sunday. No fun day. Yesterday was payday. It's a different experience now. I'm not even sure I should call it payday. Is there such a thing as severance day? 
Severance is a different animal. Severance sounds like the name of a sadomasochistic character in a 1970s B-movie. The misshapen figure with an eye patch, wielding a whip and stubbing his non-filtered cigarette out on some chain-bound unfortunate's torso. Severance always goes too far by forcing himself onto the unfortunate in question in defiance of his handler. Severance, no, Severance, leave her alone. Severance wants. Severance also refers to himself in the third person, apparently. Severance murders his keeper and spirits the unfortunate away to his hilltop lair. There he sees to the unfortunate's every need, seducing her in the process. But in six months' time, Severance dies, leaving the unfortunate to fend for herself. In this scenario, I suppose I'm the unfortunate, right? I'm not the handler, and I'm not Severance. In less than six months, approximately three and a half months, actually, Severance will expire on me. I won't exactly be left to fend for myself. I'll be applying for New York unemployment and doing it all over again. Because on bad advice, I applied previously and was told I'd have to wait for Severance to end. Unemployment generally runs for six months. Then you can apply for an extension. Beyond that, who knows? I suppose I tap into my 401k. There it is again. From here, retirement is a long way off, even if I retire early at 62. That's more than four years from now. If I retire later, you do the arithmetic. It's not math. We're entering a heat wave as I write. A high of 99 degrees today with temps in the upper 80s to upper 90s all week. And I don't feel like doing much. But being unemployed, watching the clock run out on severance means not being able to enjoy this, quote, time off, unquote. There's an undercurrent of dread that colors everything. Every dollar spent, every moment relaxing. I need a job to feel productive, to contribute something, to earn an income. Last night, we watched part one of Judd Apatow's documentary about Gary Shandling. It was quite good, especially when he delves into how ambivalent Gary was about success, how he struggled for it, but was constantly searching for fulfillment and to feel like he was being authentic. I can't tell you how much it resonated with me. I feel like I was being inauthentic for so many years in my old job. I tried to be me, to bring to the table my particular talents, my creativity, my ideas, ability to think on my feet, to make people laugh. But so often I was thwarted by management and by my partner. I don't want to be in that position again. That word valued keeps coming to mind. I want to feel valued for what I can do. The problem is getting someone to believe in me enough to hire me. A former coworker of mine who is now doing a podcast told me that our ex-employer's name on his resume didn't open many doors. I'm surprised. We always thought of it as the only game in town, but the rise of podcasts has changed the playing field. Everyone wants to launch a podcast and figure out how to make money doing it. I am doing a podcast, but I'm not sure how I monetize it. It doesn't even have an audience yet, and I can't bring myself to do what a former manager suggested, a podcast in the same genre as my last gig. If I picked up anything from the Shandling documentary, it's his sense of when it was time to move on to the next challenge. Going back to that same audience, that same world, feels like the wrong move, even if I did it my way. First, 
I'm not sure anyone wants to pay me to do it my way. That's a hidebound culture, and I wouldn't do a podcast covering that world just for shits and giggles. Sorry. There has to be shits and giggles and pay. Monday, 66 days since I lost my job. We watched the second part of Judd Apatow's documentary about Gary Shandling, and much of what Gary wrote in his Zen journals resonated with me deeply, especially the stuff about how difficult it is to escape your ego and just be. I'm struggling with it now. Much of my ego is caught up with what I did for a living and how much it paid. It's as if I was a marathoner and someone tore off my legs. Let's see how much you like running now. I'm trying to let go. As Gary Shandling writes over and over in his journals, but it's not easy. Like many of us, I have a need to be recognized and appreciated for my talents, to utilize them to earn an income, and I made that happen for quite some time. Could it have been a fluke? Did the detour into a particular radio genre mean I hid in a safe harbor too long? Did I take the money, all the while knowing it wasn't the right fit, all the while feeling inauthentic? The word authentic keeps coming up in the Shanley documentary. And what do I do with myself now? If I still won't have a job by the time my severance runs out, I will have to withdraw funds from my 401k. That thought sent me into a downward spiral. That money was for my supposed old age. Is it already here? While I'm grateful to have a cushion of funds, many do not, it was never my intention to draw against it this early. It would make me feel like a failure. A wave swept over me. I heard my mother's oft-repeated phrases. Who's supposed to pay for that? Do you think I'm made of money? We can't afford it. How would you like to live on the street? And oh, so many more. There it is, that ever-present, never-ending dread of financial ruination, of destitution, the one my parents constantly stoked, the one that stalked my childhood. If parents are supposed to make you feel secure and cared for, mine never got the memo. They fought endlessly about money, about the bills, about how they had to slave away for every dollar, about how much they hated what they did for a living, but went and did it anyway to keep everything afloat. There was never enough, and it was always your fault somehow, if only you didn't constantly need things, need food and shelter and clothing and school supplies. I suppose I've been living in a fantasy land for a long time. I went to work, did my job, and was compensated well. I didn't have to think about where the money came from and whether I was employable. I was employed. Now I'm faced not only with my worth in the marketplace, but my own self-worth, which, let's face it, was never in great supply to begin with. You're not dealing with someone who has reservoirs of self-confidence and self-esteem. Whatever there was is currently depleted. How I fill the tanks again is hard to know right now. I've fallen to the base of a mountain which may never be climbed again. I'm not even sure I can tackle those hills over there. I've descended into the valley and seek a way out without driving myself and those I love mad. I wish I could be Zen and live in the moment, not ruin it by brooding about the past or obsessing over the future. But October will come, and if I'm still unemployed, things will become magnitudes tougher. 
I want to leave you on an upbeat note. I'm trying. I want to keep good thoughts, retain some optimism in the face of this. But I can't add feeling bad about not feeling good to my current pile of woe. The pile is tall enough. It includes items like biting my tongue when a friend or acquaintance says, I know you'll be fine. You have too much going for you. I want to ask, how do you know? How do you know I'll be fine? Isn't it just something people say when they don't want to weigh the implications of you not being fine? Stay positive. Chin up. Live in the moment. You'll be fine. The onus is on me, apparently, to never reckon with what happened, with the loss of my livelihood, with my failure as a breadwinner, with the blow to my ego. Keep calm and carry on, as if this is a blitzkrieg and life returns to normal after the battle. There is no normal anymore. The battle to survive is on. I don't know how it turns out. This is Chris T. Thanks again for listening to Job Story. Job Story is available on SoundCloud and iTunes and coming soon to a platform near you. We have a brand new email address if you want to drop me a line and tell me your job story. It's jobstorypod at gmail.com. Jobstorypod at gmail.com. Please tune in next week to see if I'm still on the job. job.